0: These are the words of Jesus to his made disciples. He says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then a few moments later, he said this to them. He said, you're going to receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Church, I want you to look out the window. And I want you to see our city. I want you to see our neighborhoods. I want you to see workplaces, schools. I want you to think about the neighborhood where you live, or the apartment complex you live, or the campus where you attend school. I want you to see people. And I don't want you to see names of those people. But I want you to get beyond just what you see with your eyes, and I want you to go now deep into their hearts. And I want you to see brokenness, emptiness. Loneliness. I want you to see hurt. We got to get past what we see on the inside. We got to go to the hearts. So, see the hearts. I want you to see a people that are desperate for a new life, desperate for reconciliation, desperate for renewal, desperate for hope. I want you to see people. I want you to see need. And I want you to see Jesus. How are we going to do this, church? How? How are we as a 21st century church, 21st century followers of Jesus, how are we going to bring hope, gospel renewal, rescue, redemption to our 21st century city? How are you going to do it in your neighborhood, where you live, in your workplace, on your campus? How? Go ahead and return to your seat. As you're returning, I want to share with you How? This morning. How are we going to do this? Jesus said, go make disciples. He said, be my witnesses. So we have a a mission in front of us because Jesus has a mission. And so this morning I want to share with you how are we going to do that? How are we going to reach? We're going to do it the same way the first century church transformed first century Rome. That's how. Rodney Stark, no relation to Tony, All right, he wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity, and he wrote it from a sociological perspective. I don't believe Mr. Stark is a follower of Jesus. What he did was he gathered some evidence about the first century church movement, and he made some observations about the first century church. I want you to listen to his assessment of the first century church and the impact They had for the gospel in the cities in Rome. Listen to what he had to say about the first century church. He said Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent problems. To cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. No wonder, he says, Christians were so warmly received in the cities. For what they brought was not simply an urban movement, he says, but a new culture capable of making life in Greco-Roman cities more tolerable. That's the impact that the first century church had throughout the first century Roman Empire. And if we look out at our city, I don't need to tell you that our city, your neighbors, your schools, your campuses... The people you work with, they need us. They need you. They need me. Why? (laughs) Because the church has what the world needs. The world needs the church because the church has what the world needs. And what the church has is a life transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we have. And so that's why our city needs us, because we have the very message, the very truth that brings hope, that brings renewal, that brings redemption, that brings reconciliation. We've been given that by Jesus Christ and through Jesus. And so our city needs us because we have what our city needs. Your neighborhood needs you because you have what your neighbors need. And your campus needs you because you have what your campus needs, and that is Jesus Christ Christ. And that's why we have to be all in together as the church. And so this morning where I want to go with what's, go with us this morning is what's a first century church look like? How are we going to be that kind of church? And specifically, how is living church designed to be a first century church in the 21st century? If you have a Bible, a Bible app on your phone, join me in the book of Acts. We're going to spend some time there this morning. And I want you to go to Acts chapter 8. But as you're turning there, here's where we're going this morning. I want to show us that a first century church is a church that's a motivated movement. A motivated movement with specific practices and structure and with a vision for reaching the city. So that's where we're going this morning. We're going to look at a first century church as a motivated movement with specific practices and structure and with a vision for reaching its city. So consider this kind of church 101, first century church 101, if you will. And the first thing we're going to see is a first century church is a motivated movement. If you go to the book of Acts chapter 8, what has happened is the church has spread or is spreading partly due to persecution that's taken place throughout the Roman Empire. And so in Acts chapter 8, and we'll pick it up in verse 1. It says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And then if you go down to verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. And verse 7 of Acts 8, it says, For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Look at the response of the city. And so there was much joy in their city much joy. This is a movement that started in Jerusalem and is now spreading, it's scattering as main disciples are moving out, proclaiming the gospel in cities in the region and area. Now this movement started with the person of Jesus Christ. He was sent by the Father into our world like a missionary. And if you can take it to the next slide, fellas, you'll kind of see this this movement and how it functioned in the first century. So the movement begins with Jesus. He comes into our world, provides redemption and reconciliation with God through his death and resurrection. And now by faith in him, made disciples follow him. And so what you see Jesus doing is he has this mission and he calls some disciples to himself and he does life with them and then he dies on the cross, comes back to life and now he gives the mission to these made disciples. And then what we have in the book of Acts is now we see these made disciples moving out into other cities and they're moving out. Now what are they doing? They're making more disciples and so now you've got this group of made disciples making more disciples, and then what do they do? Now all these disciples start gathering together, and they form these church communities that often met in homes, and they started multiplying all over the world. And that's the movement of the church that we see in the first century. And to the far left, you see the logo there, the Living Church logo, and really that could be the, represent the church at Philippi, the church at Corinth, the church at Ephesus, and all those were local churches expressed in house churches, A network of house churches in their city. So you have this movement taking place. And if you look at Acts chapter 17, verse 6, you don't need to go there. But there was a, a gentleman who, when he looked at these people and what they were doing, he described the church movement this way. He said, these people are turning the world upside down. That's what he said. When he looked at the first century disciples of Jesus and their commitment to Jesus and what they were doing for the city and the surrounding area, they're going, these people are turning the world upside down. And here you have Philip preaching the gospel, moving out into that city. And as a result of meeting the physical needs of the people and proclaiming Christ, he's bringing joy to the city. In the rise of Christianity... Rodney Stark says this. He says, For a religious group, as with any organization, commitment is energy. And the primary means of its growth was through the united and motivated efforts of the growing numbers of Christian believers. And so, this movement of main disciples of Jesus, what motivated them? What motivated them? What motivated them was the risen, exalted Jesus. That was enough. He was enough. If you look at Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, verses 32 and 33, Peter's preaching and he's telling people about Jesus and he says this. He says, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. They're saying we are witnesses. We are looking at the risen, exalted Jesus. How can we not tell people about him? How can we not? In fact, that's what Peter and, and John tell these government officials in Acts chapter 4. The government comes to them and they say, listen, you've got to stop talking about this Jesus guy. You just need to stop it. And they're like, we can't help but talk about the person we've seen and heard. Their motivation, the the movement's motivation was nothing more and nothing less than Jesus Christ himself. The catalytic energy of that movement came from Jesus and how they saw Jesus and their view of Jesus. And this was not the view of Jesus dying on the cross. Yes, he did that. This is not the Jesus that was in the tomb for three days. This is Revelation 19, Jesus. That they saw, right? This is Jesus riding on a white horse, robe dipped in blood. He's got a monogrammed robe, and it says, King of kings, Lord of lords. You can read it for yourself, Revelation 19. He's got a little tattoo on his thigh that says, King of kings, Lord of lords. All right, that's the Jesus that motivated the movement of the church. That's a Jesus that's got an iron scepter in his hand, and he's going to make war against hell. I want to follow that Jesus. That's a Jesus I'll go into battle with. And that's the Jesus that motivated the first century church was that big view of this warrior king Jesus who died on the cross for them, who came back to life for them, who gives them new purpose, new life, new significance, new approval, new acceptance. That's the Jesus that the first century church said, we're all in and we're all in together. That was him. And as a result of the motivation of Jesus and who Jesus was, they couldn't help but go and tell other people about him. They couldn't help but go and gather as the church all over the cities. They couldn't help but go and live sent lives in their neighborhoods and workplaces. And I was trying to think of an illustration, a good way to illustrate this. And it was kind of like, you know, as, as Christians in the first century entered a city, right? When they entered a city, it just kind of spread, Right? It just kind of spread. And maybe this is your living community or, or your house church in the neighborhood where you live. And the cup and the, the water represents your neighborhood, your campus, whatever. And now as you proclaim Christ, as you live Christ, it just kind of permeates throughout the entire area where you live. That's what happened in the first century. That was this motivated movement of followers of Jesus. And our passion, my heart, is that we would be the same, that we would be a motivated movement of disciples of Jesus who aren't just content to just come here once a week, but we're not content until we go into our neighborhoods and start telling people about Jesus, start inviting them to our homes, start loving people the way Jesus loves people. In the first century church, one of their key elements, key practices was that they were a motivated movement. And listen, if the church, first century church, can bring gospel renewal to first century Rome with the same gospel, we have the same gospel, we have the same message, we have the same Jesus, we have the same Holy Spirit. God has not given us anything different than what the first century church had. So he must think, that's all you need to get the job done. That's it. I've given you all you need. So now just move out and and let's go. Just keep looking at me. I'm on my horse. My robe's dipped in blood. I got money. I'm king of kings, lord of lords. I'm leading the way. You follow me, and we'll go make war on hell. And we'll go grab some people and tell them about Jesus and rescue them. It's a motivated movement. So what it's gonna, what is it going to take for you and for me to live like that? It's going to take you and me looking at Jesus. It's to take you and me looking at Jesus risen and exalted. It's going to take us looking at him every single day. Listen, you and I will not move out with the gospel until we have been moved by the gospel. And so if you and I are not sharing the gospel, if we're not loving people to the gospel, then really we need to ask ourselves, am I really being moved by it anymore? Am I really looking at Jesus and seeing Jesus as a risen, exalted King of kings and Lord of lords? So how did they go about doing it? Right? This is, I mean, Jesus moves out. He makes disciples. Then those made disciples move out make more disciples. They form these multiplying church communities, and they're going all over the place. Well, what were some of their practices? Well, this is what I want to look at this morning, spend most of our time on Acts chapter 2. If you turn there, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It was read to us earlier this morning. A first century church not only is a motivated movement, motivated by the gospel, motivated by the risen, exalted Jesus, but the first century church lived out in some specific practices and structure. And one of the practices of the first century church was that they taught the scriptures. They devoted themselves to the scriptures. In verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, it says this, "...and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching." They devoted themselves. That means they gave constant attention to the Scriptures. Constant attention. Some would describe these verses, 42 through 47, as kind of like the blueprint for the early church. The blueprint. And they devoted themselves to the Bible. They were a Scripture-saturated movement. In Acts chapter 5, verse 42, it describes the church this way. Every day, every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching, and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. I mean, they were so motivated by the person of Jesus, they wanted to get to know Him more, so they saturated themselves with what He said, with who He was, and they, they got themselves in the Scriptures. So when you come to the gathering on Sunday, you can guarantee that we're going to be in the Scriptures, if we're going to be a first century church. And this is something we expect all our living communities. Listen, one of the practices of a living community, of one of our house churches, is that you're going to teach the Scriptures. You're going to be in the Bible, because it's the Word of God through the Spirit of God that changes hearts, not us. And the first century church lived out this practice of sharing the scriptures. Again, I'm referencing that book, Rise of Christianity. And he says this from a non-Christian's perspective. He says this, it was Christianity's doctrines that permitted them to be among the most sweeping and successful movements in history. It was what they believed that drove them to behave the way they do. Belief determines our behavior. And so if we're not truly living and moving out with the gospel, then maybe we truly don't believe that Jesus is enough. That he really is who all they need. But the first century church, if we're going to be a first century church that our city needs, we've got to saturate ourselves with the scriptures, not just corporately, but you individually need to be doing that. It was a practice that they lived and they shared together. A second practice of a first century church is that they shared life together. Look at verse 42. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship. To the fellowship, to one another. Verse 46, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There was a sense of constant attention to one another. Jesus said, listen, one of my commands is that you love one another. You can't do that if you're not with one another. And so one of the practices of of the first century church was that they shared life together. And you can read throughout the book of Acts and see what kinds of things did they share. Let me give you some of those things. They shared meals together. They shared prayers together. They shared their money with each other. They shared their stuff. They shared their homes. They shared, you got a need and I've got it. Here you go. And they did this daily in their homes, in the temple, in the community. Warren Wiersbe, who's a pastor and author, he says this about the first century church. He says, the Christians you meet in the book of Acts were not content to meet once a week for service as usual. They met daily, cared daily, one soul's daily, searched the scriptures daily, and increased in numbers Daily. Their Christian faith was a day to day reality, not a once a week routine. Why? And here he gives the motivation. Why was it? Why were they like this? Because the risen Christ was a living reality to them and his resurrection power was at work in their lives through the Spirit. I love that because they're like, we got the gospel. We got the Holy Spirit. We got each other. Dude, let's roll. Let's go. We got all we need. Let's just go. Let's just test it and see if it works. All right, let's just take Jesus out in the workplace. Let's take him to the campus. Maybe if I, you know, let's just talk to people about him. Let's just see if it kind of works. Man, they, had, they knew it. And they're like, Jesus is alive. He's risen. He's exalted. I get to serve him. He set me free. I don't care what people think of me because I'm accepted in Jesus. Let's go. And they shared life together. They live the mission together. And that leads us to the third practice of the church. Is that they share the mission of Jesus together. Look at verse 47. It says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. All the people. And if you were to go to Acts chapter 5 verse 13, it talks about how the people in the community held the Christians in high esteem. I mean, first century Christians, the first century church was a church that was respected by the community. How they loved one another, how they loved their enemies, how they respected authority. And the city looked at that, and they're like, man, we need these people. There's something different about these people. We need them. We don't want you to move. Listen, if you moved away from your neighborhood, would your neighbors care? Would they care? Would they be like, oh, good, they call, complain about everything. They call themselves Christians, right? Or would they be like, no, hey, when you put the for sale sign in your yard, would they be like, What? No, 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 no. We'll pay you to stay. Please, we love you. We need you. I can't live without you. I mean, it was that kind of thing. The community, the city loved the church. They loved Christians. They loved people who knew Jesus because they lived it out. They shared the mission of Jesus together. The church in the first century was not like this. Yeah, if you can wiggle your way in here, go right ahead. Come on, try it. Come on, try to, no, it's like, hey, come on in. We love Jesus. We know you probably might not, but that's okay. We love him so much. We're going to love you anyway. I mean, it was just like this open arm, like they lived in, loved Jesus so much that they said, you know what, we're going to serve our city. We're going to love our community at whatever cost. And they said, come on, come on. They had the favor of all the people and the people held them in high esteem. But a fourth practice that we see that I don't think gets a lot of attention, is this practice of sending and multiplying. We don't see it specifically here in Acts chapter 2, but you can't help but read about the first century church and see that there was this practice of continually sending disciples out, followers of Jesus. You see it in Acts chapter 13. If you want to turn there, you can. Acts chapter 13. Here we have a church, a first century church in Syria, so we have Christians living in Syria in the first century in the city of Antioch. And this was probably a network of house churches. And so here we are in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. And it gives us a list of names. In verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Notice, that's coming from God himself. He said, y'all need to get rolling. Y'all need to get out there and start telling other people about Jesus. And it says, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on who? The leaders, the guys that they'd set apart, and they sent them off. In Acts chapters 13 to the end of the book, you see this continuous sending of people out into the cities, into the other places so that the gospel could be made known because it's through the gospel that people's hearts are transformed. And when you change one person's heart, there's potential you can change a marriage. And you can change a marriage. You can change a family. You change a family. You can change a neighborhood. You change a neighborhood. You change a community. You change a community. You change a city. One person at a time through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they had this constant practice of sending and multiplying. And I want you to go to Paul's letter to Titus, Titus chapter 1. Because I want us to see this, this practice of the first century church, that this practice of sending and multiplying. Titus is a protege of Paul and he is on the island of Crete. Crete is just south of Greece. And Paul tells Titus, listen, I've sent you there, I've left you in Crete. Verse 5, Titus chapter 1. He says, I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, in studying this, this kind of popped out to me as I was reading. Paul doesn't say, I, and I'm leaving you there to appoint elders in every church. That's what elders are. I mean, they're, church, they're pastors. They, they pastor a church. They shepherd. Our living communities, we see them as house churches, and that's why those who oversee them, they're pastors. That's what we see in the New Testament in the first century. But what Paul says to Titus, he says, I want you to appoint church leaders in every town. What's that tell us? That tells me that the church is on the move in every town on the island of Crete. Now, Crete was known, had a nickname known as 100 cities. So, it was given that term because they believe there a 100 cities on the island of Crete. So when Paul says, hey Titus, I want you to go appoint church leaders in every town, that tells me that there was this mass multiplication movement of the gospel as churches continued to form and gather and multiply all throughout the island of Crete. So the entire island of Crete had gospel renewal and presence because of the church multiplying as made disciples moved out and made more disciples and so you see this practice of constant sending and constant multiplication. And you see a little bit of the structure here, too, where there was this expectation that every house church, every living community was going to be pastor led, was going to have leadership over it. And if we're going to be a first century church for the 21st century, we need to together and individually be all together in on sharing the scriptures, sharing life together, living out the mission of Jesus in our communities and in our city and in our neighborhoods, and sending and multiplying one another, not for ourselves, but to bring glory to Jesus as we see the gospel change hearts in our city. And as a church, one thing that we do when our living community pastors meet, we have this little chart or sheet that we talk through, and on it, it has the four practices, sharing the word, sharing life together, sharing mission, sharing or sending and multiplying. And so when we get together, we talk about, hey, how are you doing? How's your living community? How's your house church doing at sending? How are you doing it sharing life together? We come around each other. We encourage each other. We we hear what each other's doing as far as living out these practices. It's so important to us because it's what we see in the first century church. But just because you're part of a living community that might do that doesn't mean that you're doing that. We need not just us corporately, together doing this but we need every disciple of Jesus every family every couple every single person living this out where God has sent you you need to be sharing the scriptures you need to be sharing life with the church you need to be sharing the mission of Jesus in your neighborhood and workplace and campus and you need to consider yourself as a sent missionary by God to where he has placed you and so what we have here is the first century church as a motivated movement they lived out specific practices and structure together. And then finally, what we see here is they had a specific vision for reaching the city, and you can just stay there in Titus. And I think what we see here, as I said, is this, their, their vision. The first century church understood. Now, I understand that there was persecution there, so maybe building, having a building or whatever might not have been an option for them. But I think we see more into their heart as far as if we're going to reach every neighborhood, every town, every city It's going to happen when made disciples move out, make more disciples, and start forming these multiplying church communities in the neighborhoods in which they live. And I believe they did it by planting these kinds of house churches in the cities and neighborhoods. Tim Keller, who's a pastor in Manhattan, said this. He said, New church planting is the only way that we can be sure we are going to increase the number of believers in a city and one of the best ways to renew the whole body of Christ. The evidence for this is strong biblically, sociologically, and historically. And that's why it's so part of our vision, part of our, our, our dream is to see every neighborhood in our city in northern Kentucky and Cincinnati have the gospel presence through the planting of house church communities all over. Just because there's a church building in your community doesn't mean that it's impacting the community. Because most people that are in that building on a Sunday are not the people who need the gospel. Some are. All right, this is why we've got to be in our neighborhoods and campuses and places where we work. And we've got to start living the sent life, not in the building per se, but out of the building, in our neighborhood, so that people can see the way we love each other and they can see how we love the community in our city. And we're going to do that by multiplying and made disciples. And we're going to do that by multiplying house church communities, living communities all throughout our city. There are over 80 townships and villages in our city, over 80. Right now we have six living communities, six. We have a pastor's pipeline coming up. Part two of that pipeline comes up this coming Saturday. Why do we have that? Because we believe in this so firmly as a first century church that if we're going to saturate our city with the gospel, we need to train and equip leaders to pastor and shepherd these house churches all throughout our city. That's why we have that. And if we're going to be a first century church that sees the gospel do what it did in Rome in the first century, it's going to start with us looking at Jesus and it's going to continue with us looking at Jesus, the risen, exalted Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves, why? Why be a first century church for the 21st century? Because our city needs the gospel. Your neighbors need the gospel. I need the gospel every day. Right. And if I need it every day, I need to remind myself of who Jesus is and what he's done for me every day. The gospel is what will bring change and transformation and reconciliation to your neighbors, your campuses, our city. And so how are we as Living Church, a first century church for the 21st century? You can see kind of the comparison there on the handout we put in your seats. But like the first century church, we have the same founder, we have the same mission, we have the same gospel, the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit, the same practices, the same structure and the same vision. We have the same belief and vision that if we're going to see gospel renewal come to our city, it's going to take you and me living sent lives as made disciples, moving out and multiplying these church communities throughout our city in every neighborhood. So let me me get practical here for a little bit. What's it going to take? Look out the window again. Look at your city. Look at the neighborhoods. Think of your neighborhood. Think of your campus. And as you look and you think about the people, maybe in your own family, Tim Keller said this, you can do this ministry with God's help. You can do it with God's help, so give it all you got. But you can't do it without God's help, so be at peace. (laughs) I love that. Be at peace. Let's give it all we got. So what's it going to take? It's going to take you and me praying for our city. It's going to take you praying for your neighbors. It's going to take you praying for the people you work with. It's going to take you praying for your classmates on campus. It's going to take every disciple that's in this room being all in together, using your God-given gifts and talents, your mind, your creativity, your abilities to saturate our city with the gospel. It's going to take you, if you're in the design world, going into the design world, your workplace, saying, I'm a sent one here for Jesus Christ. And I'm looking at the exalted Jesus. I'm going to be awesome at the work I do. I'm going to be great to my fellow employees. I'm going to listen to my boss all the time. I'm going to do the Why? Because they need the gospel. It's going to take each and every one of us being present with a living community and making a commitment to that as we share life together. Because the living community is really that incubator for growth. It's going to take each of us giving up our stuff to meet not just each other's needs, but some of the needs in our community. It's going to take each of us living out the four practices individually and together. It's going to take some of us taking huge risks. Huge risks so that people can hear the gospel and hear of Jesus. It's going to take some of us to step up and start giving financially so we can train, so we can lead, so we can infiltrate the gospel into our city. It's going to take some of you opening up your home to host a living community. It's going to take some of you praying about pastoring. God's giving you those gifts. It's going to take some of you to think through that and think maybe God wants us to do that. It might even mean some of you need to get up and you need to move from where you live and you need to move to a different part of our city with the intent of bringing and being a gospel presence in that part of the city. It might mean that. It might mean some of us having stuff break in our home because we have the neighborhood kids over. It might mean our carpet getting dirty. It might. It might mean being at a soccer game... Last evening with my wife and it's zero to zero and there's 30 minutes left in the soccer game and it's the last home game of the season and I get a phone call from my neighbor in tears, weeping because of a situation that went on last night. You can barely hear her, she's crying, situation going on in their home, their son came over to our house, we were not there and so we're like, okay, we'll come. That's what it might mean. Miss the goal. They won one zero. <laughs> I'm not I'm not struggling with it at all today. But that's what it might mean. That's what it might take. What's it going to take for you and for me and for us to be all in together? I'm going to ask the band to come if they would at this time. But I want you to think, listen, what's that look like for you? Maybe it's just simply we need you to start praying. I need to start praying for my neighbors. I need to start praying for my classmates. I don't know what it is. What's it look like? If you're like, I don't know, I, I want to help. I want to get involved. Go to that joinlc.com and fill that out and say, I don't even know where to start. We'll help you know how to get started. But what's it look like? If we're going to be a first century church for the 21st century, we need to be a motivated movement, looking at Jesus, living out these practices of discipleship together with a vision to reach our city. And if I could sum it all up, why? Why be a first century church for the 21st century? Why? Because Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel is what our city needs. Jesus is who they need. And we have what our city needs. So what's all in together look like for you? What's it all in together look like for us? I want you to stand. We're going to sing this song, and it's going to speak of surrender. And as you sing these words, I want you to think, what's surrender to Jesus look like? And as you sing this song, I want you to envision the risen, exalted Jesus. And us as a church, following him into our city, into our neighborhoods and communities for the glory of Jesus. With the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel. Lord Jesus, this is for you and for your name only. Amen.